Today, I'm going to do something a little different um, with the sermon. I'm not going to preach a New Year's resolution sermon. Is everybody okay with that? Uh, because you hear a lot of those. It's also typically on this Sunday, we preach a Christmas sermon or a New Year's resolution sermon. I'm not doing either one. But I thought about this idea of, of New Year's resolutions. We all know that they don't work. They often fail. Uh, they did a study and found that only 19% of people actually ever uh, try and accomplish their goals that they set in any given year. So even two years later, they still, 80% of people still haven't done anything about their New Year's resolution, you know, because sometimes it takes you a little while if you do set goals. So why do goals fail? Uh, a lot of goals fail for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they're just plain old bad habits that we get. We have bad habits. We don't break them. Sometimes we just make excuses. It's not my fault. Uh, sometimes we're distracted or other things get in the way. Obstacles get in the way of us achieving things. And sometimes we just don't have the support or the resources that we need to accomplish them. But the main reason that goal setting often fails and New Year's resolutions often fail is because we just don't set attainable and realistic goals or resolutions for ourselves. We don't really think through the process. It's easy to come up with it, but it's harder to think through what it would actually take to accomplish whatever that is. So what we need actually is not a goal. We, in fact, what we need is wisdom. Now, it's interesting, if you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't have a book of goals. It, it doesn't have a book. I mean, there are lots of things that we're to, to, to move towards, but it does have a book of wisdom. And wisdom is what I think is needed because wisdom is that where we take the knowledge that we have and we apply it to our lives. So wisdom is about how we apply uh, the knowledge, what we have, the resources to actually act and change and, and move towards what we truly hold as valuable or important to us. So wisdom helps us to align our goals truly with our values and what's important to us. And I think that would be a better use of our time this morning to think about wisdom and think about what would it look like to align our lives with these values or with these pieces of wisdom that we're going to look at. I'm going to read actually from the beginning of Proverbs just to kind of set the tone from in Proverbs chapter 3 kind of talks about the value of wisdom. Uh, I'm just going to read the first eight verses of chapter three, and I think we can pull those scripture slides in at this point. It says this, uh, I'm reading from the NIV, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. I want to stop there where it says, write them on the tablet of your heart. That means to write them on your inner being. When it says heart, it means all-encompassing, body, mind, soul. Make it a part of your being. That's what that means, to write it not on a piece of paper, but write it in your inner spirit, in your inner being. That's what it's saying there. So write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And here's a verse we, some of us already know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, that means, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And so this beginning chapter is talking about the value of wisdom and that how we're to write it on our hearts. So I was thinking about this, like 
as we head into 2022, what would we want to write on our hearts? What are those values, those wisdom that we would want to grab onto? And so I grabbed onto five verses out of Proverbs. We're just going to go through them real uh, simply, just go through these five verses. I would also say these five verses that I've selected are carry with them common themes found throughout the book of Proverbs. So this is, I could find several other verses that speak to these themes or values as well. So I want you to think about values, about these themes as we unpack each of these verses. So the first one uh, I, that jumped out at me was Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Hatred stirs up conflict, love covers over all wrongs. And I think about as we head into 2022, thinking over the past year, the conflicts that we've had over the past years, what would it look like to choose love versus hatred? And we, I find that our, in our culture, as I talk to people, we use this word hate very uh, loosely. And I thought it'd be good just to remind ourselves what we mean when we say hate. When we use the word hate, it means when I hate someone or something, I don't want them in my life anymore. I want to get rid of them. So if I hate someone or hate something, I don't want, I want that, I want them gone. I, I want that person out of my life, right? And I, I'll do whatever I, I need to to get rid of them. That's hate. That's a pretty strong position to take. And a lot of times I think we find ourselves using this word hate in context where it's really I just don't share your perspective, or I just don't disagree with you, or, or I, there's a disagreement, or a different perspective, or a different opinion. And so when really it's not hate, we don't, you know, I don't hate people, or hate, want to get rid of someone. But then on the other flip side of this proverb is love, to choose love, and that it covers over all wrongs. So if you think of hate as wanting to separate from, get rid of, as that's a destruction of relationship, Right? Love and choosing love says, I'm going to stay in relationship with you even if you disagree with me or are, think things differently than me or, or have even done something offensive, right? So love says, I'm going to stay in relationship with you despite the wrongs, despite the flaws, despite the mistakes. And to be honest, we could not exist in relationship without love. Uh, hatred will destroy relationships, pull us apart. Love will cover over those things that keep us at the table. It doesn't mean that love is ignoring those wrongs. It doesn't mean that love is, is glossing over those hurts. What love says is, I'm going to stay and prevail. Love is going to prevail enough for me to stay in relationship with you. And so I, I don't think if those of us who are, I, I'm married, I could not exist in marriage without the ability to do that, Right? Uh, none of us can. So it's about staying in relationship with, which is what God does with us in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we sang about that this morning, uh, about love prevailing, God's love prevailing in our lives. So when we, choose, and when we choose love rather than hate, we actually, when we're choosing love, we're actually defending and shielding our hearts from hatred. So I, if I'm choosing love, I can't, the possibility of hate ceases to exist, and so that's an important distinction. And so one of the wise pieces of wisdom is that we would choose to love rather than use, uh, let stir up more conflict with our hatred. Uh, here, let's move on. 11, Proverbs 11.25 says this, A generous person will prosper. 
Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, this word generous literally means a soul of blessing. Are you a person who blesses others? Are you a soul of blessing? And do you then refresh others? So what that means is that you're, you're actually refreshing other people. So uh, I, I think of it this way. Like if you see a, a, de- a plant that's withered and dying, what, what's your first response to this plant? What you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see this plant? What, what do you, what's your first step, action? Water, right. You go grab some water. Like, or maybe you're looking at your Christmas tree, that, if you have a live Christmas tree, and it's starting to brown, right? It's already dead, unfortunately. But, you know, you go water, right? Your, your instinct is to go refresh it, right? So a generous person's instinct, the wisdom of a generous person is, I want to go refresh that person that's withering, that's discouraged, that's, that's, that's downcast, uh, whatever that is. And so I want to go, and it literally means to be generous and to refresh them, it means to saturate them fully, to saturate fully. And so you, would you give, you know, give others that full saturation of blessing in their lives, the blessing that they need, right? And I wish we could see people like we see plants, because a lot of times we don't see in others the withering, the weariness, the, the, the brokenness that oftentimes they're experiencing. And so the wise person is a generous person who, no matter who they encounter, will be a soul of blessing to them, right? And just doesn't matter what's going on. We're going to, a generous person, a wise person is going to be a soul of blessing to that other person, whether they need it or not. The next proverb I came across, I'm going to share with you, actually uh, speaks to something that's going on in our society today uh, that is prevalent. And that is that we know that this is, these are old statistics. So I am, my assumption is these, these statistics are greater but we know that 40 million people right now are struggling with the anxiety disorder in, in the United States. Uh, this is a generalized anxiety, what's called generalized anxiety disorder. And if you look at the statistics on the increase, I, I think this has gotten wor- worse over the past two years. This has increased. And where it's increasing, interestingly enough, is people under 21 years of age. So the people that are struggling the most with anxiety t- today are actually the younger generation, the the older generations don't struggle with it as much, maybe because of life experience or other things, but we know that we're in a culture and a society where anxiety is, being, is going up. So here's a, here's a proverb for that. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So uh, I talked a little bit about this on thanks, uh, Thanksgiving Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, sorry, I'm a wrong holiday. Christmas Eve, we talked about the, the, the shepherds being fear and do, the angel saying, do not be afraid. And anxiety is when we bow down to our fears, when we worship our fears. And we do that, anxiety is really worshiping our fears because what we do is we have this fear and we just kind of rehearse it over and over again in our brains. Do you ever do that? You ever wake up in the middle of the night or maybe uh, when you have some downtime and you have something you're worried about or concerned about and you just keep rehearsing it and going over it again and again in your mind? You ever do that? Does anybody else do it? I, I do that, right? That's anxiety when we're just bowing to the fear and we're worshiping it by repetitively, you know, almost like when we sing a praise song and we repeat the chorus over and over again to praise God, we're repeating the fear over and over again. That's our anxiety. So, a wise person 
brings a kind word to cheer it up, or literally lift it up, lift the person up. And I thought about this idea, if if anxiety is bowing down to worship our fear, a kind word is someone who comes along and gets us to lift our eyes away from our fear. (laughs) A kind word is an encouraging word that gets us to stop focusing on our fears and helps us focus on God who wants to encourage us and strengthen us. And so our kind words, here's the thing, isn't this beautiful? Our kind words might actually help with someone's anxiety. So if we know there are people struggling with anxiety, we are to be people, wise people, who offer kind words to each other rather than critical words. And if you think about criticism and complaining, all that does is get people to focus what? What do they focus back on? When, we, when you're criticized or someone complains to you or criticizes you, where do you go with that? Where, where does that take you? Fear, right? It takes you back to your inadequacy. It takes you back to your fear. It takes you back to the things you're anxious about. And then, so basically, unkind words, complaints, criticisms, critical words uh, will focus people back on their fears. So a wise person is going to not do that. A wise person is going to choose that kind word that will lift them up from their fears and get them to see a different perspective, which is God's perspective. Let's move on. This next one is, again, a common theme throughout the book of Proverbs. It's, and it's an intriguing one. I'm going to unpack it a little bit for you. Proverbs 13, 23 says this. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. So this may be confusing because you're sitting there going, well, how can an unplowed field uh, produce food for the poor if there's no, nothing planted there? Well, this has to go, this goes back to the, the ancient Israel and Every seven years, the farmers in Israel were to let the land lay fallow. That means they weren't to plant, and they also weren't to harvest from the field. So whatever was planted the year before was just allowed to grow back up on the, on the, on the, on the, on the land. And that particular field was designated food for those who were poor. So then the poor in the community could come to the field, and they would harvest what was in the field to provide for their families. What happened over time in ancient Israel is that ancient Israel then said, hey, you know, we're not going to let the land rest like God commanded us anymore. We're actually going to plant and harvest in the seventh year so that we have more food for ourselves. So they wanted to get more food. So what, by, what they didn't realize they were doing was by not letting the land rest, by replanting it and harvesting it for themselves, who was suffering? Who wasn't getting food? The poor, Right. It's like, imagine if you today, you and I, who are cut, I imagine my cupboard's pretty full of food. My refrigerator has food, even though I haven't been around all week and we haven't gone to the grocery store. There's still plenty of food in my house. But, you know, if I thought, you know, that's not enough for me. I'm going to go over to the food bank here in Queen Anne, and I'm going to get as much food as I can and stock my fridge from the food bank rather than go to the grocery store. Would that be unjust to the people in need? So here's, that's, that's what the proverb is saying, is that if we're not uh, allowing, if we're not feeding the poor, right, if we're, not, if we're over-consuming and over-producing for ourselves, that means somebody else is not getting the resources they need. So, are, we, are you with me so far? Let's take it another step. So if that's an injustice, which it is, 
What do you think about our consumption in, in the Western, uh, Western culture today? Are, are we under-consuming resources or over-consuming resources as a culture, as a society? We're over, right? So I, can't, I stumbled across this chart, which I thought was a graph that was really interesting to me. So on the vertical axis is fulfillment. What, what do we need to feel fulfilled as a person, right? And then on the horizontal axis, how much money will we spend to feel fulfilled, right? And then you've got three levels of fulfillment. Survival, that means are your basic needs are met, food, water, shelter, clothing. Comforts are the extra things that make us comfortable, you know, that, that allow us to be comfortable in society. And then the third level is luxury. Like these are the luxurious things that I might purchase with my money. So here's a question for us to reflect on. Where, what's enough? What's enough? Is it survival? Is it the basic need? Is, are having my basic needs met, is that enough for me? Or, or do I need to have some comforts, like some comfort food, you know, or some comforts in my life? Is that, is that enough for me? Or do I need to have some, also some luxury in my life? Is that where I draw the line of enough? Where do you place the line for you? Just, just think about that. Where would you place it? For, I'll be honest with you, I place mine probably between comfort and luxury. Probably somewhere in that region is enough for me. But, you know, that, and so that might be like, well, what do I really need to have enough to be fulfilled, right? Let me ask you another question. Not, not where you would draw the line. Where would Jesus draw the line? Where, where would Jesus place the line? Probably survival. Basic needs. If you read the Gospels. Now, here's the crazy thing about Western culture. As a culture, as a society, we go beyond luxury. We consume not only at the survival level, not only at the comfort level, not only at the luxury level, but we overconsume past luxury level, and we'll spend money for things we don't even need to, be lux- to have luxury. We are overconsuming the resources. The consequences of that are the twofold. First of all, the poor. Globally, the global poor are suffering because of our overconsumption. So when we overconsume, there are people other, living in other places in the world, or maybe even right in our own communities, that don't have the resources they need because we've overconsumed. So we've actually taken food from their field. That's the first consequence. The second consequence is that climate change is happening. The, the world is, the climate change is real, it's happening, it's fact. And that's also because of our overconsumption, because some of us in the world are consuming more than we need, and that is affecting the overall environment and the climate, and we're also suffering the, cl- the consequences of climate change today because of this. So wisdom says this is an injustice. It's an injustice that we're really not focused on today, actually. It's an injustice that we gloss over because we feel like we can't do anything about it, right? So I would go back to that graph and say, rethink where you're drawing your line and not go beyond it. And trying to find ways to not go beyond it and overconsume it just as a way of being, right? That would, that's what a wise person would do. I think it's a big problem. And we're actually, what, as they say, we're reaping what we sow. 
as the Bible says. All right, last one. Proverbs 16, 32 says this, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. And uh, a self-control or patience means to be slow to anger here. And actually, if you read the Hebrew that was originally written, it says a better a person slow to anger than a warrior. And what does a warrior do when, when they get mad? They draw the sword, right? They go out there and they start attacking and they start going after it and they start, uh, you know, uh, getting aggressive. That's what a warrior does, right? A wise person says, no, I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow it down. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to process it. I'm not going to rush to judgment here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this, right? I'm going to be slow to anger. Uh, a good example of this is a... a, a no, a known, uh, nationally known person, musician, and speaker. His name was Ken Medema. Uh, he's years ago. He has I haven't heard much from him recently, but he was born blind, and uh, his parents raised him as a kid to do whatever he wanted to do. So he wanted to learn to ride a bike. So they helped him learn and ride a bike, even though he couldn't see. He was visually impaired, and even though he was visually impaired, they that he wanted to go water skiing, so they helped him learn how to water ski. So he water skied, he rode a bike, he did all these things, anything he wanted to do. Nothing was off limits for him to try and do and learn, even with his visual impairments. And so he was raised this way, he, he learned to enjoy life, and he got to college, and he's going across college campus, and, uh, and he's going across, and he literally bumps into another blind person. So if you imagine two blind people bumping into each other on a college campus as they're walking. And Ken says he bumps into this other blind student, and the blind student yells at him, gets aggressive, says, watch out, can't you see I'm blind? Actually, no, I can't see that you're blind. (laughs) But he couldn't, but here's Ken's response. Ken could have said, well, I'm blind too, can't you see I'm blind? You know, he could have been aggressive, he could have been you know, insulted in that moment. But Ken's response was this, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. Literally, he didn't. He didn't lie. And then he went about his business. He went on his way. He just kept on going with his day. And that, that's, that's patience, isn't it? That's being gracious in the moment. That's actually kindness. Rather than asserting power and control and asserting self and, and anger, and pride, right? And my rights, whatever that is, whatever I perceive them to be, right? And so a wise person is slow to anger like Ken. So if you've heard it, as we've gone through these Proverbs today, there are themes and values that I, that I would share with you for 2022. So what would it look like to align our lives to these values or themes from Proverbs? The first one was love, choosing love. Second one was generosity, refreshing others, being a blessing to others. Kindness, offering kind words rather than critical words. Justice, and and lowering our overconsumption that might mean justice for other people and for the planet. And then patience, uh, being slow to anger. Which of those values would help you this year in your faith walk? Which of those values would help you in your faith walk today, this year? And uh, here's some reflection questions and additional reflection questions for those of you at home or going to a group after the service. Number one, 
How could wisdom help you in the coming year? Think about wisdom in the, and how that might be helpful and a gift to you this year rather than setting goals or resolutions. Number two, which of these Proverbs, as you, we unpack them, uh, resonated with you today? Which one stuck out for you? Like, oh yeah, that, that, I needed that one. And then number three, what is one piece of wisdom you want to apply to your life this coming year? And if one of those verses was good for you, great. Go read some more Proverbs. There's plenty there. There's a lot more than, that I didn't share. Maybe pick out one of those verses, write it down on a sticky note, stick it on your bathroom mirror, stick it on your refrigerator, somewhere where it might be a reminder to you this year. Every day as you go through this year, maybe pick a proverb or pick, a, pick one of those Proverbs to help guide you in your faith walk this year in 2022. So I encourage you with that. So uh, hope, hopefully that was help, more helpful to you than a New Year's resolution sermon. So let's hope so. But let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the giver of wisdom and you are the one who wants to gift wisdom to us. And you have told us that if anybody lacks wisdom, we're just to ask you for it and you'll give it to us. And so I come, we come today and we say, we need your wisdom, God. We need your wisdom to navigate the future ahead. We need your wisdom to navigate 2022. We need your wisdom to teach us how to align our behaviors with our truly true values, the, not just values that we aspire to, but values that we want to live out in our daily life. And so, Lord, would you bring the wisdom needed to align our actions with our values and the values of love and generosity and kindness and justice and patience. Would you help align our hearts there, Lord, that you would write these things on our hearts today. And thank you, God, for your prevailing love, your love. You chose love. You didn't choose violence. You chose love for us in Jesus Christ. And you chose to love us and to lay down. He chose to love us and lay down his life for us, his friends. And so, Lord, as we come to this communion table today, we we invite your spirit, we invite your Holy Spirit to be poured out in us and on these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ for us. And so that when we leave here today, we can be the body of Christ for the world. That your love would prevail in us and your love would prevail in our world today. So Lord, pour your spirit out on us today and on these gifts today. And we pray that as we come to this table, we pray that prayer that you have taught us to pray faithfully throughout the centuries. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.